Welcome to the Restore Church Sermons podcast. We're so glad you joined us here today. We hope that through this message, you are encouraged, challenged, and strengthened. If you want to know more about Jesus, Restore Church, or have any questions, please head to restorechurch.com.au. Okay. Sorry? His hearing aids are on. Good. Excellent. Well, good morning. Welcome. I got a bit of a brag this morning. My uh, Thank you, Ian, for saying welcome. You're the one person who did, so uh, thank you. Um, it's my grandson's first day at church today, so pretty exciting. Okay, we're going to grow this church one way or the other. So, everyone, we've contributed four, okay? And so there's some others here who have done the same, so that's kind of the standard, all right? If you've got your Bibles there, you might want to open up to John chapter 8, um, verse 1 to 8, we're looking at that this morning. John chapter 8, verse 1 to 8. I toyed with a couple of different titles for this message, actually. Um, the first one was W-T-W-O-J-L-L-I-T-S-S. Um, it's an acronym that kind of rolls off the tongue. And what it means is, uh, what does the way of Jesus look like in this specific situation? It's kind of like, what would Jesus do, except it's far more nuanced than that. Um, the understanding, of course, being that sometimes, you know, there, you look through the Scriptures and there's absolutely no precedent at all um, in terms of how Jesus would handle something, because issues that we deal with, He didn't deal with. And so one of the questions we have to ask is, well, what are the things that are going to govern our approach to something based on what we understand of the way Jesus would do it. The other thing was that um, no one would merchandise that because it wouldn't fit on a hat. So, uh, so we gave up on that. The, and the other one, title I wanted to come up with was um, How to Lose Friends and Infuriate People. Uh, something I know a lot about. Um, and the reason I wanted to call it that is because we are living, um, you've heard me talk about this before, we're living in what I believe is an increasingly polarised world. Um, with any issue that might be going on today, it seems to me that people are being pulled and pushed to either end uh, of the spectrum and the middle ground is disappearing very quickly. And it doesn't matter what issue it happens to be, um, people want to know whether you're for or against, you're pro or you're anti, whether you're liberal or you're conservative or whether you're you know, a fundamentalist or a progressive. That's, it's like that's it. Th- there are only these kind of binary options for people. And we want these kind of simple positions for what I believe to be some very complex problems. And what's worse is everything is kind of posited as a zero-sum game. In order for me to win, you have to lose categorically. And the problem for anyone serious about following Jesus is that um, even though this middle ground is disappearing, that's exactly where he wants us to be, um, is actually to find a way of occupying that middle space to be able to help people on either side of that spectrum. And the only problem with occupying that middle space is that you tend to displease people on both sides. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You tend to displease people on both sides. Um, Hence, how to lose friends and infuriate people. But I settled uh, on calling it the better way because I believe that regardless of the cost, that is what we are called to. We are called to follow a saviour a Christ who, through his teaching and through his example, always tried to let us know there was a better way of doing something. And we are called to be people who, even if no one else is playing the game, we are called to be people who live a better way and who tell a better story 
and who show a better way forward. So there's this story in John chapter 8, verse 1 to 11. If, even if you've not really read the Bible, you're probably aware of this story. It's a fairly famous story. And I'm reading from the New International Version, so follow along with me. It says in chapter 8, verse 1, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was act, caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this as a question to trap him in order to have a basis for accusing him. See what's happening here? These guys are trying to trap Jesus and in their mind... This, this is a foregone conclusion. This is a done deal. This is checkmate. Because in their world, again, everything is only ever a binary option. You're either for or you're against. You're either going to take this position or you're going to take this position. Jesus, you're either going to be faithful to what the Bible says or you're not. And they've got him. Because if he goes with sticking with the law, if he says, you're right, Moses does in fact say, someone's caught, the woman's caught in adultery, she needs to be stoned, then, then he's going to lose his reputation and all the work that he has done in terms of both showing and teaching people that, that there is a better way. Forgiveness is actually a better way forward. But if he says, no, you can't do that, he shows himself, and this is what they were hoping for in some ways, to be a lawbreaker. Oh, Jesus, you have absolutely no regard for the word of God. And they've got him. Now, these guys were right. Moses did say this. Moses said in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbour, and you know by neighbour, we don't have to get too literalistic about that and say it has to be your next-door neighbour. He's just talking about anyone, okay? Both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death, which raises the question immediately, where is the man? Where is the man? I mean, if you, you're making, your, your thing is making sure... Right, that people are living by the Word of God as God explicitly expresses it, why are you being selective about how you apply this particular verse? See, there are two equal and opposite dangers we can fall into today when we try to navigate some issues. And again, they're both extremes. One is to say, we don't need the Bible, we, just, or we don't need to worry about what the Bible says because it's irrelevant, it's outdated, it's unenlightened, etc., etc., etc. So let's not bring that into it because it doesn't have anything to say about what we're facing in our day and age. The other extreme, of course, is to, to use it and to weaponize it, to cherry-pick verses and things that suit our agenda, our cause or our position and ignore the bits that don't. So we can use the Bible to justify anything we want if... We are to prepared to ignore all the other things that don't. You with me? We can use the Bible to justify anything we want as long as we are prepared to ignore all the other things in it that actually don't. And there was a fair bit of this going on in this incident. It goes on to say that Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his fingers. Has anyone thought that was a bit random? Has anyone read that? And you say, you're in the middle of this, like, in my opinion, a very, very fraught situation. Someone's life is on the line. And your response to that is to dip down and start drawing in the dirt? What is going on there? Well, 
there's, there's no shortage of explanations about this, theories and about what Jesus was actually doing. And some of them you're like, oh, well, that sounds lovely, I just don't know that that's true. There are two, however, that I think actually might actually be close to the mark and helpful in understanding what was happening here. The first is that there was actually an established procedure for dealing with people who were caught in adultery. And that was the two people who were caught in adultery were to be brought to the temple, to the priest at the temple. And the accusation was to be brought before him. If it was deemed that the, the accusation warranted an investigation and potentially a, a charge, the high priest or the priest would actually write down the crime and the names of the people that had been accused of. But it had to be done in a non-permanent way. And so the most easy way for him to do it usually was simply to bend down and in the dust on the floor of the temple would to be right adultery and then the names of the people. So you can imagine in this situation, Jesus is bending down and he writes adultery, woman, dot, dot, dot. And they see that. And that's enough for them to get the message that Jesus is going, okay, anything missing in this picture? You who want to be pedantic about the application of the Word of God? Can you see anything wrong with this? We've got the, we've got the charge. We've got the woman. What's missing? There's a certain hypocrisy sometimes, isn't there, in the way we apply Scripture? Again, as I say, we can justify anything if we're prepared to ignore other things. And what Jesus could effectively be doing is saying, you're worried about violating the law by violating the law? Yeah? You're, you're worried about this? What are you doing? You're just picking and choosing, but you're doing exactly the same thing. The second one has its roots in Jeremiah 17, 13. And it says this, Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Now, these guys would have been very, 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 very familiar with this verse because it was a passage of Scripture that the high priest would recite every year at the Day of Atonement, which every good Jewish boy attended. They would have heard this verse over and over again. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of the living water. They knew what it was, okay? The irony here, of course, is they, into their way of thinking, would never have seen themselves as departing from the ways of God. They would see themselves as some of the few people who were trying to uphold the ways of God. But when you read this whole story, John chapter 8 and John chapter 7, the whole context of all of this leading up to this point is that Jesus is telling them about himself. This is, he's in Jerusalem. This is the rundown to his crucifixion. Okay? He's in Jerusalem. He's telling them about himself. But he's constantly running into this thing, this way of thinking and seeing that they have developed. And he's starting to realise how devastatingly far away from the way of God it actually is. So he's gone in there in a hope for them to say, hey, I'm the one you've been looking for. It's all culminating in me. And all he meets is resistance. Because these people, although ostensibly wanting to uphold the ways of God, have now drifted so far from the ways of God, from the heart of God, that they don't even realise they're doing it. 
And so Jesus is probably writing their names in the dust. Verse 7, it says, when they kept on questioning him, because they're like us and they can't take a hint, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first one to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. I love this ninja move that Jesus does, right? This is, this is brilliant. This is brilliant. They are trying to trap him. They are trying to get him to be the one to either break the law or initiate the judgment so they can hide behind him when they stone her to death. But he just goes, wah, 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 and shifts the responsibility straight back onto them by provoking them to think about the implications of what they're saying and the consequences of following that line of reasoning. I love that quote that's attributed to Mahatma Gandhi. I don't know if it was, in fact, his. But he says, you know, living by the law of an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth only ever leaves the world blind and toothless, right? Whether he said it or not, it's true, isn't it? It, 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 what he was saying is there is there is no end to that cycle that's that's where this inevitably goes there is no end to that cycle and and neither does stoning people who mess up solve anything i mean this is jesus point you want to make a point of upholding the law yeah okay that's fine but we're all going to be in trouble very quickly because none of us are able to keep it okay this is what jesus is saying you, you, by all means, you, you go ahead and do that. But you need to understand, right, that in throwing that first rock, there's just going to be a lot more rocks thrown. And ultimately, at some point, it's going to be in your direction as well. Because that is the logical trajectory of your position. It is a cycle that has no end. I saw this Christian meme yesterday. They're not usually funny, but this was. And it said, don't judge someone because they sin differently to you. And I thought, how true is that? We've all got our junk, but have you ever noticed that we go on crusades about things that aren't our junk? Yeah? You know, I don't struggle with that, so we'll pick on that thing. We don't pick on the thing that is our struggle, but we've all got our struggles. We've all got our shadow side. We've all got our blind spots. We've all got our stories. We've all got our good days. We've all got our bad days. Every single one of us. See, these guys were falling prey to the same faulty thinking that we can fall into, and that is thinking that faithfulness mirrors our beliefs and it mirrors our lifestyles, and if you don't mirror that, you are wrong, you are sinful, and you need to be on the receiving end of some judgment. Many years ago, uh, many, many years ago, actually, I remember hearing one of our um, pastors in our movement tell a bit of a story. He had needed a church administrator and the girl that ultimately got the job was a young unmarried girl from within their church interestingly enough the the biggest resistance and disapproval to that appointment came from the other young unmarried women in the church who were her peers and her friends they thought that it was inappropriate and wrong for a girl who had slept with someone outside of marriage and had a baby to be working for the church. And they got quite a petition up to protest that this girl had got the job. And so this pastor said, okay, I want to meet with all of you girls. We want to have a meeting. Right? So they all came together and he said, now before we start the meeting, I only have one condition. 
Only virgins can speak. He said it was the quickest, quietest meeting we ever had. That girl had committed the sin of having the baby. Which, considering the alternatives, was probably the best option, yes? When you consider what some people will do to hide what they have done. Yeah? She had the baby. But she had not done anything they had not done. Or were doing. She just got unlucky and had a baby. Unlucky, I say. Some people would kill for a baby, yeah? It's so easy for us to judge others and make excuses for ourselves, isn't it? It's so easy to judge other people and just make excuses for ourselves. But we need to be consistent if we're going to use the Bible to judge others. That's what Jesus was on about. That's why Jesus says, do not judge. Because the same standard that you use to judge people, that standard is going to be applied to you. Can I ask you a question? How would you like to be judged? Never? Or with great mercy? With great understanding? Yes? If, someone, if I'm going to be judged, I want you to understand that I've got stuff going on, that I'm a less than perfect person, that I didn't get up that morning and I just chose to do that because I had nothing better to do. Well, if I want to be judged like that, guess how I've got to judge other people? The same way. When people mess up, when people transgress, I don't have the right to go, you're a bad person, I'm a good person. I have to judge them the way I want to be judged, and that is, hey, that wasn't great, that thing that you did or you're doing, but can we talk about it? There must be a reason, because I know deep down you're not a bad person. Amen? Judge people the way you want to be judged. Maybe the penny dropped for these guys, because they realised where all this was going. And it goes on to say in verse 9, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, I think principally because we're going, man, that's a lot of stuff I've done wrong. Like, that's a lot of rocks in my direction. I'm just going to... Okay. Um, until, and then the younger ones, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. If you read this in your um, actual physical Bibles, it might be on some of the online ones as well, but there's actually a footnote that relates to these 11 verses. And what it says is, these, this story is not actually found in some of the earliest manuscripts. And so there was kind of a debate about whether or not this story should in fact be included in the Bible. And there's a lot of technical arguments about why that is, about whether it should be included in the Bible, where it should be included in the Bible, etc., etc., etc. I won't bore you with all of those details. Suffice to say that by one divine act or another, God in His wisdom has had that included in our final edition of the Bible. Um, it, made it, it made the cut, so it is there, um, and it is there for a reason. And so we will handle it like that. But I can think of a, a really good reason contemporarily why we wouldn't want to include this story in our Bible and it's for the very simple reason that it, for me, it's actually a very difficult story. 
I know we look at it and we go, oh, it's a story about not judging people. And I've certainly approached it like that in the past. But when you sit with it and you look at it, it's far more nuanced and complex than that. Because in this story, Jesus does not come down either side of a difficult issue. He doesn't. And we want him to. We want him to come down one way or the other because, again, we like simple solutions to complex problems. But Jesus goes right into the middle of all of this. And in today's world, this isn't a passage that either side of any spectrum can use to proof text their position. For people that want to weaponize the Bible and say, everyone just needs to obey this and this is the rule and this is the law and this is the standard, okay? Um, and if you fail, you're going to be... They can't use it like that because Jesus didn't come down on that side. And for other people who want to say, don't, don't, let's just forget about that. Let's just all hold hands and sing Kumbaya and the world's going to be a great place, all right? Um, Jesus doesn't come down on that side either. And even if you leave the God stuff out of it, you know, if we're talking about how Jesus approaches this particular thing, even if you said, well, you know, who cares about adultery? I'm not a Christian. I don't subscribe to your values. I don't subscribe to your, to your Bible. I think most of us can agree that adultery is not a good way to live, yes? Yeah? So even if people don't believe in Scripture, to be able to say to someone, that's just a messed up way to live. It's not good for you. It's not good for them. It's not good for anyone. Unless you're a total sociopath, then it's, you know that, all right? Now, people will do it, and they'll do it for all sorts of reasons, but... I reckon you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who'd say, this is actually, you know, my preferred way of living. So Jesus doesn't come down on the Bible basher side. He doesn't come down on the Kumbaya side either. He just sticks right into the middle. He doesn't have to take a side. No one has to lose so someone else can win. Instead of one side winning and the other side losing, what you see in this situation is both parties going away with something to think about. You get it? Both parties go away challenged with something to think about. And don't misinterpret what's happening here. It's not an argument for not getting involved either. I mean, it's so tempting in this day and age just, just to avoid being exhausted to just want to be Switzerland all the time, isn't it? And to say, just leave me out of it. Like, argue over the top of me or something, but just don't ask me. You know, when you're at dinner and so what do you think about that? Oh, did you have to ask me what I think about that? Just pretend I'm beige. I don't have an opinion, okay? Leave me alone. That's what I feel like doing most of the time anyway. Okay. Um, but that's not what's being said here. You know, Jesus is not avoiding the issue. He doesn't sit on the fence and he doesn't sit on the sidelines and say, leave me out of it. He takes the even more treacherous step of actually stepping right into the middle of something and saying, well, what about this instead? which just goes to show you, you don't have to take a side to take a stand, okay? This is not being spineless. This is actually summoning up some serious gumption to take a stand on what really matters because there was a bigger issue at play here beyond do you believe the Bible or not? Are you faithful to the Word of God or not? Or are you just going to forgive everyone? That's a false dichotomy that they've created. The issue Jesus was dragged into, like we face today, is actually far more nuanced and complex than that. This wasn't about faithfulness or forgiveness. This was about redemption. This was about integrity. This was about the type of world that they wanted to create. This is about the type of God they claimed to represent. What were the messages that were being sent in all of this? There were much, 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 much bigger issues at play here other than do you believe the Word of God or not? Are you going to be faithful to the Word of God or not? Are you with me on that? There were much bigger issues at stake here. That, and here's the thing, the issue, what is the end game? 
What is it you want to see happen here? And that's the thing we have to bear in mind. What is our end game? Whenever we get involved in something, whenever we see an issue, we have to keep the end game in mind. Is it simply to be right? Is it simply to beat someone else? Is it to twist someone around to our way of thinking? But at what cost? What was the end game for these scribes and Pharisees? What did they want as a result of this little drama? I mean, again, they weren't wrong in saying that the woman had sinned, but their purpose in revealing her sin was not in the interests of community holiness. It was not in redeeming the woman. It was not healing a broken family. It was not mending broken relationships. Their goal was condemnation. And not just her, ultimately their goal was to trap Jesus. That was it. That was the end game for them. And then what? You won? Congratulations. Is the world a better place for you having won that particular showdown? No. What would it have achieved? Following Jesus means thinking about the end game, the outcome we would like to see, and not just some short-term, hollow victory. These guys wanted to trap Jesus one way or the other, but then what, what would they have been left with? Would the world have been a better place? Would they have moved the restoration of all creation story forward? No. No one would have won out of that outcome at all. Can I get contemporary and a little bit controversial who's up for that this morning we may just on on youtube there may just be a big black screen <laughs> from this point i don't have to talk about this but i think this is actually a really good living example um a while ago you know that there was a certain um aru player who lost his contract for posting something on social media you know what i'm talking about did you see what was posted? Okay, it was a list of people and their destination. If you fit one of these categories, uh, you're going to hell for eternity. Okay, and it's a complex issue. There are issues around um, contracts, which I'm, I wouldn't have a clue. Uh, freedom of speech, religious freedoms, etc., etc., etc. Okay, and because of the diverse ecosystem that is my Facebook feed. Um, it's interesting to see because it's just fired up again because now that person is um, crowds, crowdfunding his legal defence. So it kind of died down a little bit but now... And so my fundy friends are, you know, like, yes, because, you know, otherwise Satan's going to rule the world if we don't defend this. And all my atheist friends, are, I can't repeat what they're saying and some of the things that, that they're actually saying, and I've told you before, I, I don't get involved in Facebook spats. Social media is not the place to have a, a responsible, nuanced discussion about complex issues, okay? It's just not. It's uh, Twitter, Facebook, they're just places to sling at one another and people are keyboard warriors and it's just pathetic and I just, I stay out of that. I, I private message people um, to have an actual conversation but I won't just throw my hat in the ring there. But I will actually enter into the fray here. Obviously, all the contract stuff that's going on with this is not my purview, but I, I think I'll stick to the two things that I think, for me, are the issue in all of this. One is intent and the other is, is rights. Um, this person claims that his intent is well... In, is, he means well. He does it because he loves people and he doesn't want to see them go to hell. We have no reason on earth to doubt his intention, okay? Can I say that? 
if he says it, I just believe him. Because I believe he, he, that's why he's done it. And I mean, t- to be honest, if you really believe there is eternal conscious torment waiting for people who live a certain way, the most loving thing to do is to warn them, isn't it? Yeah? No? Okay, fine. Go to hell. I don't care. All right. Um, wow. Okay. Um, in fact, there's a Canadian um, magician called Penn Gillette. Has anyone heard of Penn and Teller? You know, and um, Penn Gillette's on record. He's a, he's a serious atheist. But he said, I have the utmost respect for Christians that try and convert me, uh, try and try to convert me, because if they really believe I'm going to hell, they're trying to save me from that. But I have no respect for Christians that believe there is a hell and don't try and save me. Okay? So I, I believe his intent. I don't want to see people go to hell. So here's a warning for you. All right? Does he have the right to do it? Yes, we live in Australia. We have freedom of religion and we have freedom of speech. We are entitled to, up to a point, uh, and I don't know legally exactly what that point is, but you certainly can't incite hatred or violence or anything like that. Um, We have a right to to not only hold our beliefs, but to publicly express our beliefs, yes? So on both those counts, fine. My question would be, not whether his intent was good or whether he has the right to do it, but whether or not it was the best way to go about it. That is the issue for me, okay? Is it the best way to go about it? And I think the data is definitely in on this as to whether or not that's an effective way of doing things. You don't see people one into the kingdom through memes and through protest placards, do you? You never see people one over to Jesus by telling them how evil they are and where they're destined. It just doesn't work. You could, it's the truth. You could say, it's the truth. So what? When my wife says, does my bum look big in this? I lie. Because sometimes you don't need to say what's true, do you? Okay? And incidentally, she doesn't have a big bum. I'm sorry, honey. But, but you, know what I mean? you know what I'm saying, don't you? Telling the truth is not always saying everything that's true. Because none of us would talk to each other again. All right? Would we? It's saying what is true when we need to. Okay? There's a big difference. It's not just going out there saying everything that's true. So we could say, well, it's true. Yeah, that's right. Okay, it's true. But is it wise? Is it the best way? What is your end game in this? Is your end game to exercise your religious freedom? Or is your end game to genuinely see people who, in your opinion, in your belief system, are on a trajectory to hell, is to save them from that. And if that really is your end game, then I would argue there is a better way of achieving that than what you just did. Okay? Now, as you can imagine, when I say this to my fundy friends, I'm too liberal and too soft. I should be leading the charge on raising money and standing up for religious freedoms in Australia. To my atheist friends, I'm not coming down hard enough. I still support his right to say what he said, even the way he said it. I don't think it was the best way to do it, but I support his right to do it. So guess where I find myself? Stuck in the middle with you, okay? (laughs) And this is what I mean about a better way. We displease people on both sides of the spectrum. We always will. But we are not looking to keep that side happy and we're not looking to keep that side happy. We're not looking to win at all costs. We're not playing a zero-sum game here. 
our end game is better than that. I'm not afraid to stand up for what I believe, but more important than what I believe is what, what outcome I would like to see. I want to see people come to know Jesus. I want to see people come into the kingdom. I want to see the great redemption story that God has released on this earth. I want to see that story moving forward, okay? I want to see that plan that he has to bring everything under one head that is Jesus. I want to see that happening. And if that means from time to time I need to bite my tongue and shut my mouth, I will. If it means I have to find better ways of getting the truth across to people, I will. We are called into, as I say, it's a complex nuanced world. We can't just reach for a Bible verse these days and go, well, that's what Jesus did, that's what I'm going to do. It takes time and energy and effort to think about what is the, what is the wisest, most loving, most faithful way for me to navigate this so that I can be true to and faithful to what God has called me to do, but I can be true and faithful to the, to the mission that he's got in the world because they're not mutually exclusive, are they? They're one and the same thing. Even today, I'm aware that for some people, maybe I haven't come down enough on this side and said, no, 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 we just need to stand up and protect him and let him do what he wants. And maybe some people are sitting here going, no, you haven't come down hard enough on this side either. I can guarantee within this mix today, there are people who will have feelings about that. That's fine. You're entitled to it. And as I say, I'm not afraid to stand up for what I believe. I know what I believe about this and I know how I would handle this and I know what my my take on this particular thing is. Because my ultimate aim is, if these people are hell-bound, then they need what we have. There's just a better way of helping them understand that. A much better way of helping them understand that. And that's what I'm committed to doing. So, there are two ways, I guess Jesus was saying. (laughs) There are two ways, really, that you can stop someone committing adultery or someone who's... You can kill them. That's a proven effective method for stopping pretty much anything. Or you could extend grace to them. I don't know how this story ends. This is the frustrating thing for me. It's like Jesus does this, people walk off and the credits roll. They walk off into the sunset, but I would like to think that the scribes and the Pharisees after being exposed to what they'd just been exposed to, the writing and the dust and everything that that meant and the challenge to, to be the first stone thrower, all of that, that although they've come in here to, to use this woman as a pawn to trap this man, they've gone away from that seriously rethinking their rel- own relationship with God and about their understanding of the God they claim to represent and how he operates. I'd like to think that they went back and went, I know we went in there to do this thing, but you know what? I'm not so sure that we've got the right handle on this. That's what I would like to think. And, and we could probably even entertain the idea that maybe that happened because, because we happen to know that amongst the believers that were around after Jesus was crucified, some of them were Pharisees. Some of them were religious leaders. And I'd like to think, because it makes me happy, that, that some of these guys were those guys that went away and went, wow, you know, I, I thought I knew how this worked. I... That was a revelation to me. And I'm, I think I need to make some adjustments. And, and with the woman, all he says is, I don't condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. As I say, he doesn't say, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. 
Go back, enjoy your adultery. Okay? He says, stop it. Because again, woman, even if you don't buy into the religious stuff, this is a rubbish way to live. Stop it. I'd like to think that she goes back and she breaks it off. And she realizes she's worth more than that. And she starts to to create for herself a life that actually brings dignity and worth to her rather than allowing herself to be treated like someone's piece of meat. I'd love to think that that's what happened, but I don't know. I'd like to think that those things happen. And this is my point. If we go in there just to win, if we go in there to be right, if we go in there to to make other people feel bad or whatever it happens to be, we we may get that outcome. But that's a really hollow victory. We need to bear in mind the end game and find a better way of doing it so the stories we get to tell aren't, well, I shot them down in that argument. I made them feel like a complete idiot. The stories we get to tell are, we went into that and we both came away realising that we had a lot more thinking to do. Or they went away realising that what they were doing was not great and now we're talking about a better way forward together. They're the stories we want, aren't they? Now, there's no shortage of things going on in the world today that we could argue about. We are called, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Because that's the God we worship. That's the God we represent. He is not a divisive God. He is a God who brings peace. He doesn't keep peace. He makes peace between people and between people and him. Amen? I'll leave it at that. We're going to take communion now. Um, You may notice that we swapped tack and we didn't do the prayer series today. That's because um, Jake and said, we pretty much taught everything there was to know about prayer. And I said, sure. Um, We'll pick it up another time. Uh, There is a lot more to do, but we'll pick it up another time. And I just really felt today that I needed to speak about this for some reason. So maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a live issue for some of you right now um, with your friends, your family, interpersonal relationships. Um, But can I ask, as we take communion, just to sit and allow God to search our own hearts and and maybe look at that stone that we're currently carrying around in our hand now, ready to peg it at someone and allow God to just remind us that do we really want to be going down that road, um, dealing with our own stuff before we deal with other people's stuff? Amen? Okay, so let's take communion. It's at the sides and it's at the back. We invite everyone here to come and take it. You're more than welcome to come to this table. Um, So just come in your own time, take it, take it back to your seat. Pray with one another if you're not. Spend some time quietly in prayer. We'll get the team up. Thank you.